This is Perspectives, the show where a conversation about how we might be different really shows us how much we have in common. I'm Condis Presley. Our guest on the program today is Georgia Congressman Kwanzaa Hall. Congressman Hall represents Georgia's 5th Congressional District. He won the special election to fill the unexpired term of our late Congressman John Lewis. And Congressman Hall, welcome to Perspectives. Thank you for having me, Congressman. You and Congressman John Lewis had a very special history, and it was very personal for you, I understand, to serve this period of time after his passing. Tell us that story. Yes, so he was a neighbor and friend of my family. He and my father worked in civil rights together. He and his late wife, Lillian Lewis, mentored me through college. And uh, as I became an elected official, actually the first time that I came, I was invited to come to the Capitol was for a CBC convention. And I got the full tour from his late wife, Lillian Lewis. But she really tried to ensure that I was a part of the political process and that I was uh, being mentored to be a, a leader uh, in our in our region, and I'm so thankful that they gave me so much time and energy, and to whom much is given, much is required. And uh, when he passed away, I felt this personal obligation to step in and bridge the gap between the civil rights generation and the next generation of leaders. And of course, I'll pass the baton to Nakima Williams. Congressman, do you think that? early exposure as a child and then as a young man influenced your decision to go into public service? Yes, for sure. Um, There's a picture that I found looking through our our family album of me on my father's shoulders. I was probably two and a half, three years old at a voter education uh, project uh, retreat. About 600 people were there from what my mom says. And John Lewis was on my father's left and Tom House, another Atlanta staple, in the media was in front of them. And all three of them worked as really good friends and colleagues and, and organizers in, in the struggle back in the 60s and 70s. So, you know, it's, you know, like I said, who much is given, much is required, but I stand on their shoulders and they imparted so much wisdom. But really growing up, I just saw him as one of my dad's friends who did that work they do uh, helping people and bringing uh, young people together because they oftentimes would be developing the next generation of people through the voter education project uh, that was led by Vernon Jordan, and it included the entire United States. Congressman Lewis was over the South, and my father was one of the fellows in the program that was charged with identifying young leaders and developing them to become the next next elected officials. But in this case, it was just more organizers uh, back in that time. So I, I, you know, I just feel a very, very humbled and privileged moment in my life has occurred because of this this tremendous opportunity that's been given to me. How would you characterize your learning curve having to basically hit the ground running as soon as you were sworn in? You know, so it's kind of two parts of this role, uh, if you will, really three parts. One is the constituent service, which I've done pretty well at as a council member. So I had an understanding that I've got a decent team who already has been in that place. And we're catching up and pulling the backlog of some of the cases and beginning to help individuals who've had situations with the uh, Veterans Affairs related, IRS, SBA, uh, immigration, and disability. Those are kind of the top top areas of need. And then, so we've got a plan for that. But the other two are getting into the system of federal government and navigating just to get myself onboarded, get my team onboarded, 
and make sure we can do everything we need to do just to be able to vote. Even to get sworn in, there was a, you know, I would have been taking about a week to get sworn in, but it turned out to be about 24 hours because we had relationships in the state of Georgia, Secretary of State's office. He was very helpful, Raffensperger, uh, and his team to get the uncertified results up to Washington, which triggered uh, the speaker's office inviting us up sooner rather than later. And then we hopped on a plane. I had to get up there. My mother couldn't make it, but my brother did. Uh, and my one staffer, so we could be here. They're not really allowing a lot of staff in. So it's not Washington, as you see it on television. The offices are not really open. Congress people are generally in the office by themselves. And if they do have someone else in there, you're sitting on the other side of a plexiglass screen and shield. You're not allowed to have staff pretty much on the floor. I've given a li- I've been given a little bit of a reprieve because I'm new and they're allowing me to kind of move around just to navigate the building. You know, there's about five buildings, four buildings that are right in the main complex and they're underground tunnels. So you can go outside and go through security. It's cold. So, you, you know, you've got to figure out how to get around very quickly and where we're officing to where we're needed to do, you know, processing of paperwork to where we need to do things actually on the floor when I have to vote. So all of that is like a much larger city hall, if you will. But I've already kind of done this kind of stuff going through this. You know, if you ever try to do something in government and you, you go to one department and you got to go back upstairs and come back down and get something signed and go get it stamped and come back. So we've done a lot of that. But at the same time, if I'm walking as a congressperson, more things get done than if, you know, it's just a staffer trying to figure it out. And because I was an elected official, I kind of know how to weave we in between things. And then there's the legislative process. Thankfully, there's new terms and there's slightly more formality, but it's pretty much like City Hall in terms of structure. We have a consent um, agenda, which is items that everybody kind of agrees on. You don't have to vote on every one of those at one time. I mean, you don't have to vote on them individually. You take them as a block. And then there's the special items that require uh, debate, discourse, uh, this conflict or challenge around them, they are the ones that need to kind of be taken individually. And sometimes people just want to see where people stand on these items. And so those are the ones that kind of tend to take more time. But because of COVID, we also have to vote in ways. So the whole body is in there at the same time. And many of the Congress, my colleagues, are up in age. So they're, you know, average age is probably seven, late 60s, early 70s. So many are not really inclined to have everyone in the room, which increases the likelihood of COVID contraction if it happens to be a, a person there who is asymptomatic. So we have to, we take it from, let's say, A to C, C to F, F to J, and, you know, it breaks down like that. And when you're in the room, you're not supposed to kind of hang out and hobnob with each other and do the usual sidebar conversations. You're supposed to go vote and get out of there. And the Sergeant of Arms has on more than one occasion kind of broken up, you know, hey, y'all congregating over here, you got to get out. You got to go upstairs to the well where the typical audience would be observing us, where the public would be, or we have to just go somewhere else and go to our offices. So it's really about still keeping a social distance while trying to get the people's business done in a very, very challenging time. And as you can imagine, being able to confer and debate and have sidebar conversations is what helps to move the process along. So I have to say, the group is doing a phenomenal job. We all are working under these circumstances, and I'm thankful for the leadership 
that we're seeing from Speaker Pelosi, um, Majority Leader uh, Steny Hoyer, Majority Whip, um, <clears throat> sorry, Majority Whip Jim Clyburn, and 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 the Democratic Caucus Chair, and and, and our Republicans across the aisle. Many of the Georgia delegation members have reached out and welcomed me, and I'm so thankful for them. Bob Woodall, Buddy Carter. I mean, we don't all agree on politics, but the, the warmth that came from the Georgia delegation on the day that I was sworn in was really great. Um, Sanford Bishop welcomed me from the Democratic side, and Bob Woodall uh, reckon, uh, welcomed me from the Republican side, and they both gave you know really wonderful uh, remarks, and I was thankful. Yeah, I was surprised by that, and and really thankful to feel you know feel at home by by the Georgia team. And it says a lot about, you know, who they are as individuals, but also what everyone in the body stands for. And I've felt nothing but love from, from you know, new colleagues that I meet. We all have masks on, so you don't really know who you're looking for. But many of these people are superstars that we see on television. So I'm like, oh, yeah, that's, oh, my God, that's, you know, so, you, you know, Benny Thompson or that's this person or that person. So it takes a minute for me to recognize them and then to want to go up and talk to them and then the social justice things so you're trying to be a little cognizant of that. And then they don't know me and they're kind of like, oh, you're the new guy. You know, so it's, it's been really good. And many already knew me. Uh, there's a whole body of folks that I already had relationships with that, you know, kind of we just kept on going to hit the ground running. And they've allowed me to sign on to bills with them. They've offered office space. Sanford Bishop took me around to the CBC, introduced me. I got to speak to the body had lunch. Here's the thing. You can't even have lunch together. So you take up, you go pick up your box lunch, and then you have to go sit in social distance. So everything, even when you have a meeting, you can't have a working lunch like you would imagine at a social distance. You actually have to be away from the, the main rooms where the meetings are happening. So it's much different than I would have expected, for sure different from the way of life that we've been enjoying in Atlanta under COVID. It's nowhere near like that here. Very, very restrictive, but still the business is getting done in a very, very bureaucratic environment. It sounds like a really good thing and a challenging thing at the same time, Congressman. You would think that much of that work gets done in those sidebar conversations so that when you get into the more formal setting, things can be agreed upon and voted on. So that makes it tough. But then it also sounds as if the lawmakers are being extremely safe to make sure that uh, you sort of flatten the curve and stop the spread. Speaking of that, you said we've got a continuing resolution to keep government operational for at least another week. Can you give the voters an update on where we are with respect to perhaps a stimulus package or COVID relief? So there were two bills on the table related to COVID, two perspectives. One is about a 908 and another is a 916. I haven't been in the direct negotiations, of course, because I, I wasn't, you know, party to the earlier negotiations and there's been different leadership teams there's been a bipartisan team and then there's been kind of two partisan sides trying to go at it um but all in all there is for sure a spirit of getting to a solution on all sides how you do it is really what the challenge has been i think one of the initial deals did not have any relief checks so now i don't know how anyone would even propose that idea okay so that was a non-starter and it got cut down. That was when I first got the first day or two. I was there Thursday. I was here, and that was what was on the table. And people are like, how are you going to do that? So I know that one's not going to work. So now there's a proposal not only to come up with some type of stimulus injection direct to our citizens, 
and more so than just giving to corporations and more so than giving even to the bigger small businesses, but to the people. And then there's a proposal on the table to ensure that it's not checks and that it goes direct deposit. So those are like some kind of car. So people instantly get their money as opposed to going through the paper trail, paper process. So those are like, that's an innovation that's happening. There's a conversation about money going to families directly. And then there's another conversation around small business that's been loud. And the one about small business has been, well, you know, there's a, many of the smallest businesses, which happen to be mostly African-American businesses and Latino businesses and urban, urban core, maybe some rural businesses. They're kind of not really full employee employee-based businesses. They're sole proprietorships. And many of them did not receive the level of relief, if any, in the last package. And that's where there's conversation and the need that I've heard loud and clear, like subjective solutions for some companies and none for others. And people just throwing their hands up, like, why didn't I get anything and everybody else got it? And some people got millions and I got nothing and my company's the same size. So there's some, you know, writing of what might feel like what actually are wrong in the way the last package uh, decision-making was made for those who received because many people applied and they never got a response. They just got stuck in the system. So there's some, some relief in that conversation. The other piece, and let me just go back over it. The, the other conversation has been around what industries there needs to be some attention on. And I think that's where it gets really political uh, support for various sectors and which sectors deserve it, which sectors don't. I'm a supporter of more service industry related sectors. The frontline workers have been given their all and haven't stopped. And they deserve the greatest amount of relief in terms of support for the companies that employ them and support for them directly. Whether it's postal workers, whether it's, whether it's cafeteria workers, whether it's, you know, people not working for formal government, where the, you know, government kind of still has a little bit of a budget and cushion to work for from. But everyone else, if they're working in private sector, you know, this, you know, frontline hospital workers, workers at, you know, hotels and restaurants, these people are still going to work to make sure we can eat. And those are the places, the small restaurateurs, there's been a large conversation around restaurateurs and figuring out what we do for the food service industry, because all of our restaurants, I mean, many of them are almost on the brink of going out of business. If they haven't already, their doors are closed. And then there are a few that are starting up. And that's one of the conversations I placed on the table in one of my talks that I had, you get, you know, give a one minute talk every day on whatever topic you want to. It's like, how do we help companies to pivot in light of the change? You know, there's, there's new industries springing up. For instance, you know, there used to be a moment when you didn't have to worry about social distancing. Now that we do, what about the companies that print up the little social distance placards that go on the ground? Who installs them? Who, you know, who makes sure that you are in compliance and who helps you through all of that process? That's new opportunities for people to do. And it's actually under a high degree of urgency when it might've been a company that used to just do regular signage or a company that used to do, you know, events. Now they can pivot to just making sure people are in compliance, whether it be a hotel in compliance, a restaurant in compliance, a grocery store in compliance. So I think that there's new avenues for business. And I still call it a pivot that people need to be able to make to go to the next level. And that's where, you know, I've suggested that we need a pivot fund or some type of pivot activities that will, or resources that will go towards helping, helping um, companies come out of this uh, terrible, terrible situation we're all in in this country. 
As you transition and give things over to Congresswoman-elect Williams in January, how would you see your impact in this brief but critical period of time where you have an opportunity to serve? Well, I break my, my impact down into kind of three. Well, one, I carried some of, agreed to carry some of Congressman Lewis's staff, and I appointed one of them as transition advisor so that they could help me come in and be able to hand off to Nakima. Mutual friend, kind of, we, you know, kind of make it easy so there's not like a whole start back up for her. And for her, thankfully, she's going through a two-month training program or a couple-of-week training program. I went to a two-day training program. It wasn't even training. It was like, just go. Well, whatever. You don't even get a – you don't have to go get an ID. Just go. Show up and wave your hand. Whereas in other situations, you would actually be – you know, you get the time to be developed up into the position. And I've been elected longer and served for a longer period. So, you know, it was a little easier for me to accept the onboarding as it was and not get all the bells and whistles of being a new member and not go to training. But, you know, it was necessary to hit the ground running. So my responsibility, I feel, is to make sure I hand that off to her, anything I've done. So my body of work really falls into three categories. Legislation that I've introduced, that I will introduce over this time. Legislation that I've sponsored with other members. And then legislation that I voted upon that still may have a life after this period, whether it has a life because Senate doesn't support it or it has a life because it still needs to be an add-on for additional pieces. In any one of those categories or in other places that I deem fit and or uh, Congresswoman-elect Christina Williams feels fit, we can collaborate. You know, if it's something personal she's working on and it's still linked to something I'm working on, we should, you know, lift it up for the community and for our, our um, shared constituents. That's really, you know, I think the easy way to do it. You, when I left City Hall, I just left, you know, the, the the book of stuff and my staff stayed and was able to help Amir. And before that, uh, Debbie Starnes, when she left, she kind of handed over the books and said, here you go, take it all. If you want to do this, you can. I'm not pressuring to do anything, but here's what I worked on and here's what's undone and here's this and here's that. And you just kind of hand it off and keep it moving. Uh, we do have some of the casework that's been passed on from Congressman Lewis's estate, so we can kind of keep uh, support for people who need it. And then, you know, there's probably a couple more pieces of legislation. And while I'm speaking of legislation, I'll tell you what I've introduced uh, to date. I've introduced one, which I'm calling the I'm called the John Lewis Prompt and Accurate Reporting of Elections Act, Perea, and it focuses on ensuring that when we, any state government or municipal government that receives federal funds that they ha are required to report their election results before the date of the election. Instead of us having these long wait times post-election on absentee ballots and things like that. We'll see what kind of attraction it gets in this time period, but I think it's very significant in light of the race that we have in Georgia. A lot of what we see, how the country is up in arms about um, the, the election results all over in various states, this would remove one area of disconnect. And then the other one that I've introduced is related to uh, re returning citizens from the, the penal system or from, from some form of incarceration not being disenfranchised. And the focus is on to ensure that they um, not feel the practice of certain states that have prevented them from participating in voting in elections. So it's allow re returning citizens to actually vote as opposed to, you know, having to sit and wait. And there's a couple of other pieces of legislation in that justice reform 
space that I think voting, vo- voting and voting rights and justice reform are two places that, you know, is in my DNA. It's what Congressman Lewis stood for. I think they're testaments to, you know, who I am as a person, but also what wisdom he imparted to me that I'm willing, to, you know, I'm going to continue to kind of put on the table, get in that good trouble with. And then there's uh, two other pieces that are on the table um, that are not legislative per se, but they are projects that we worked on. One is the extension of the Martin Luther King Historic District to include the Prince Hall Masons building right on Auburn Avenue. It's one uh, block from Ebenezer Church, and it's the place where Dr. King worked. It's the place where my father worked with Congressman Lewis and Ambassador Andrew Young, C.C. Vivian, as well as Reverend Lowry and many others. Uh, Mr. Abernathy, everybody worked out of that office and the building needs to be restored and we need to restore the office so people from all over the world can come and visit not only where Dr. King was born, not only where he worshiped him, where he was buried, but also where he worked, where he did the work. And the National Park Service is a partner in it, but the project is a $10 million project and it has about a $2 million gap. So I've been kind of shopping around in this you know, very tight time window, very tight budget period to figure out if there's any support that we can get from my colleagues on that senior leadership. Hey, I just got here last week and I'm asking for $2 million. You know what I mean? But, you know, it's not like we'll ask for $2 billion or $200 million or even $20 million, just a little bit. But sometimes in big government, you ask too small, you don't get it. So I'm, I'm, I've asked for that. And then there's another project, which is, just up the street near Dr. King's first home, which was a project that was honored, was honored Congressman Lewis called the John Lewis Institute. And it would be an interpretive center uh, that would tell the story of, of a portion of his life, especially his upbringing. So it could be inspirational to young people and many generations to come as well. And Frank Katropa from the National Park Service led that 10, 15 years ago. But because Congressman Lewis was alive, you can't do anything for a sitting elected official. It had to be shelved. But that was always the plan for those great buildings behind Dr. King's birth home. So those are two projects that I've placed on the table. I've shared them with senior leadership. And hopefully we can see some kind of movement. And if it doesn't move here, at least they're on the table. And I will hand them off to Nakima Williams. And then lastly, I know that, you know, if you don't ask, you don't get. And so I made the ask for bigger things for the district. You know, could District 5 be a COVID innovation zone with the CDC and the airport uh, being two significant assets? The, you know, transportation with a number of people come through the airport, even with the COVID numbers, is higher than most places in the country. And as things get better, it will probably see, you know, more people. How can we integrate? COVID testing into every movement that happens there as a mandatory way of tracking people, tracing people, ensuring that people are healthy and routing those who are not into safe haven. And then similarly, this whole, you know, reboot that's necessary at the CDC, there's already been a new appointment of a leader, but how they get involved and maybe work in their own backyard first before you go anywhere else. And as we all know on this call, you and I both know that Atlanta is a different animal in terms of what's happening in, in the community and with, you know, there's this resilience and that people, the numbers are up, but then people are still moving forward in this herd mentality type of way. And then more people are coming to Atlanta because their cities are closed. 
Miami, New York, LA, in the surrounding southern states are closed. But people are coming to Atlanta. They're coming here short term because they can't get work back home and the places are closed. They're coming to Atlanta because they want to kind of have a vacation from being shut in for the last six months. They're coming to Atlanta because they heard great things about the city. Congressman Kwanzaa Hall, there is no dust gathering under your feet. You truly have hit the ground running and are working post-haste to make great impact for the citizens of our state, especially the citizens of Georgia's 5th Congressional District. We appreciate you and your service. Thank you so much for your time today. Thank you for having me, Congressman. Perspectives is a community and public affairs program crafted with you in mind. If there's a guest you'd like to hear interviewed or a perspective you think should be explored, let me know. If you're old school, just write me. 1601 West Peachtree Street, Northeast, Atlanta, Georgia, 30309. Or message me via social media. I'm Condos Presley on Facebook, Condo29 on Twitter and Instagram. Thanks for listening. Be sure to listen again next week at this very same time as we examine another perspective. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants They all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.